Hey guys, welcome back to the Sisyphus 55 podcast. Um, today we're going to discuss schizophrenia as well as psychosis in general. Um, do you have any, uh, before we begin, do you have any sort of specific interests regarding the disorder that you think we should maybe address? Um, nothing, nothing too specific. Uh, I guess you probably know a lot more terms, uh, than I do. So let's go. (laughs) Okay. All right. Yeah. And before we begin, uh, neither of us are, um, clinical practitioners or have a PhD in anything. So apologies in advance if there's anything (laughs) incorrect, uh, because this is like a lot of material and, um, it's also like a, field that is um constantly churning up new research and there's a lot of inconclusive evidence about especially like causal factors and treatments um but uh, i guess broadly to begin with we can discuss what psychotic disorders are there's one kind of main one everyone knows about which is schizophrenia and then there's also schizoaffective disorder schizophreniform disorder delusional disorder and then uh There's personality disorders, schizotypal would be considered somewhat psychotic. Um, Borderline can also be psychotic, and um, confusingly, schizoid generally isn't considered psychotic, despite the name, Um, Mm -hmm. but we'll we'll get into that. Um, So firstly, there's schizophrenia, and we'll use the DSM, uh, the diagnostic manual used by the American Psychological Association to uh, kind of define it whether you like it or not, because there's a lot of, uh, there's a, there's a large anti-psychiatry movement that's not very for DSM. Um, but it gives us like a broad outlook. So there's, there's three main, uh, kind of issues that happen when schizophrenia emerges in an individual and it generally emerges in uh, early adulthood or adolescence. It usually doesn't emerge super early. Um, Mm -hmm. there's hallucinations, which are very, um, depicted, they're depicted prevalently in in a lot of media with schizophrenia. Um, Mm -hmm. there's, uh, delusions, um, and there is a disorganized speech and, um, thinking. And, uh, so the, uh, the hallucinations, can you think of any sort of, uh, I don't know, film or TV show where they, they try to depict hallucinations well there's actually one where um this is personal opinion but i actually think they did a really good job explaining um the disorder and it's in the uh it's in the biopic of brian wilson uh, love and mercy and i don't think i think it comes out that he doesn't have schizophrenia i think in the film they say he has paranoid schizophrenia but uh, i think he was just uh I forget what it's called. Not schizotypal, but um I think he is he is considered like a, a famous person that like broadly has like schizophrenia. I don't know exactly what he has. He, and he's the guy that he kind of created the Beach Boys also. Yeah, yeah. Um but anyways where I was going is that uh in this film, um like if you think about do you know the film like A Beautiful Mind about um forget his name uh but he studied uh i think berkeley and he had schizophrenia and um the way they depicted the hallucinations in those in that film is that he uh they're like waking dreams almost like these people show up and it wasn't true for his case because he had auditory hallucinations Mm -hmm. um but in the biopic with brian wilson they really show not like the kind of cliche elements of schizophrenia, but rather like the more intense kind of abstract uh, parts of it. And what I mean by that is like, there's this insane part where he's, he's listening into his headphones and he starts hallucinating that there are, it's, it's terrifying whoever put it together, but like these really loud screeching noises, all these voices, you can hear like his dad kind of yelling at him in the background, but it's like all in his head. And throughout the film, stuff like this keeps happening where uh, there's like they're at a dinner party and everyone's uh, like knives and forks are hitting like the plates and there's all this noise and it starts amplifying and getting all distorted. And he has like a mental breakdown, like at the uh, dinner table. And then the other 
the other thing they do a really good job of is explaining like the delusional aspects of schizophrenia, like the uh, the type of um, like cognitive distortions or how you rationalize what's happening. They really show like how kind of vulnerable he was towards the end of uh, like the mid '60s. I think that's uh, that brings up two really good points. One, even though it's like depicted very popularly um, in like films and TV shows visual uh, hallucinations aren't that common in, schiz- in no. those with uh, schizophrenia. Um, auditory hallucinations are the most common, and they're even the most common, or maybe not the most common, but they even show up in uh, those who have schizophrenia that are also deaf, which is interesting. Um, and they think the reason why is because um, we have like the Wernix area and the Broca's area in our brain. Yeah. And the Wernix area is for, um, uh, I believe, actually, I'm not going to say which one because I always get these messed <laughs> up. But the, the Broca's area is uh, more involved with, uh, I'm going to, you know what? I have my computer right here. <laughs> well, uh, just while you're looking that up, um, is it Oliver Sacks that uh, he came up with the... Um like non-psychotic hallucinations um i'm not sure i'm not sure it it might not be all of it but i remember there was a case um revolving that where a blind woman uh started hallucinating um and it was they were quite vivid but the main point wasn't that she was blind it was mainly that she was like completely aware she was hallucinating so it couldn't be considered like psychotic um but oh, yeah, that's it's interesting. interesting. People without those senses, all of a sudden their brain can uh, not give them sight, but give them some sort of like stimulus. Right. Oh, that is interesting. I Yeah, just because just I didn't want to misspeak. Um, so the <laughs> reason why even deaf people can have like a auditory hallucinations is, at least they theorize, is that it's not like an issue of like we're actively hearing these voices externally or something like that it's um we all have kind of uh, inner thoughts and we have kind of an inner monologue that usually sounds like ourselves we can also bring forth voices of other people like we can think of what our maybe our dad sounds like or our mom um, or close friends um and what they believe happens because it looks like there's activation in Broca's area which is the area concerned with the production of speech that it's some sort of mislabeling where it's taking those inner thoughts we hear, but it's labeling them as external, uh, like speaking. Um, so it, and that kind of, it helps me kind of conceptualize exactly what these auditory hallucinations sound like, because I think the other thing is they're usually characterized as like these extremely like overly aggressive, hateful, um, sort of, uh, dialogues, which can happen, but generally, they're usually reported by those with schizophrenia as being at a kind of normal conversational volume. Um, usually people, uh, usually the voices are coming from people that they know, usually. Mm-hmm. And they're usually most severe uh, when they're alone, which would kind of make sense. Um, but overall, broadly, auditory hallucinations are... Uh, an important element you can get hallucinations in any cognitive area or in any sensory area uh in schizophrenia but the visual is the kind of least uh, prevalent and the other thing you brought up with the delusions is um Mm. the delusions like brian wilson's uh, in brian wilson's case they can become very like systematic where because they they develop these delusions sometimes to justify the hallucinations and they'll end up mm-hmm. like fully creating like a, a a system of thought that sounds very uh, eccentric f- to anyone looking at it. But um, yeah, I mean they, they can be well, incredibly complicated. Um, well, I think well, first of all, I just looked up if it was Oliver Sex, and I couldn't find out. So apologize if that's the wrong person. <laughs> but um, with with Brian Wilson, what I think was going on and why he was like labeled a paranoid schizophrenic was, um, at the time his, uh, his family who he made music with was not really being very supportive with his ideas. Like this was around the time they were working on smile, which never got made, um, when it was intended to. And he was getting all these ideas for 
children shows and these mute and this type of music that didn't have any lyrics but just sort of noises and it was you know it was all based on a very pure idea like he just wanted to make people happy and stuff but his his brothers and his bandmates did not want to go this direction they just didn't understand and they didn't think other people would and i think around this time he he started um like in the movie they bring up he had a few delusions that like um he was getting spied on by uh, i think in the movie they say it's like phil specter is who he's like afraid of but i think he was just paranoid i mean he had every and right to because... be afraid of phil specter <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, i mean we still do but um <laughs> he uh i think he just felt that lack of support and it made him start to think that like first his family was against him his friends and then it seemed like the world was against him and I know that's typically like the main feeling of uh, paranoia is that <clears throat> there's a force against you, like just something, something is planned for you. I guess that's not yeah. Good. The the kind of three main ones. The first one is like there's external agents acting upon your thoughts. So either they're um, implanting thoughts, or they're mm-hmm. deleting thoughts, like removing them, or they're like broadcasting them. And all of those are, that would be very terrifying for, I think, anyone to experience. Um, and then there's yeah. also the uh, these ideas of reference where, um, you know, we, we all do this, I feel like, a little bit. But, like, if you're watching a TV show or you see an ad and it feels like it's speaking to you, like it has some sort of yeah. specific significance. The thing is they do it to, like, it happens to them to, like, an overwhelming degree. And then there's also yeah. a, a common one is, is there's this idea that there's uh, body parts that have been removed, like organs especially. Yeah. And I, I think in the Rorschach uh, test, um, that one where they show you kind of ambiguous figures, they used to, I don't know how like valid this is to find <clears throat> if people have like schizophrenic uh, ideas or, or thinking, but, but if you mm-hmm. if you saw organs and like blood and like the removal of organs like in those images that you were considered to have like schizotypal thought um Ooh. yeah um, i mean yeah about like the the broadcasting thoughts i was researching this artist uh, brian charnley who suffered from schizophrenia up until he uh i think i think he killed himself but um he he did all these self-portraits before he uh before he died and one of the main things he was suffering from was that he believed that everybody else and other people could enter his mind but he couldn't enter theirs so he started to feel like he was like a broadcast like a broadcasted signal but he didn't want to be that way and uh just in the art, you can tell how this affected him because they're self-portraits. They're supposed to be examples of what he thinks of himself or how he sees himself. And um, hmm. when when this becomes really overwhelming, his self-portraits become very uh, kind of less detailed in a sense, um, and they become very open. And just in a way, it, it kind of... Like, I, there's no way I could imagine what that feels like, but in a way... I feel like that's a pretty good description for thinking that your head is just open to everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's an especially scary kind of delusional disorder because that's, you know, uh, the sort of area where we at least think we have some sort of privacy. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and and then, sorry, just because there's so much to, to talk about. There's also a, so disorganized speech and thought, which is um, if you listen to someone speaking with schizophrenia they tend to make up words um they're called neologisms and uh they didn't know about those yeah they but but the words sound right like maybe like you're saying like oh yesterday i scazzled to the beach or something like they they don't (laughs) sound necessarily incorrect but they they do it regularly and they also um like the the grammar is technically correct but it, it is incredibly difficult to actually understand, like, uh, the, the semantics, like, behind well, what they're trying to say. I remember one of the hard things with identifying schizotypal behavior is that it's, uh, it's like, sometimes someone just might be really eccentric. <laughs> or yeah. Well, some, we'll, or we'll get to that. sometimes they're a little... Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, so that's just kind of broadly the, the symptoms. Um, one of the... Uh, one little interesting thing to note also is that men typically have more severe symptoms and 
they think that this is the kind of reason why men are more likely to have been diagnosed with schizophrenia is because women might uh, go to the clinic and present symptoms and they might not be um, considered severe enough and they might just be given like a mood disorder diagnosis. Um, right. So it shows, you know, this isn't a perfect, a perfect system, mm-hmm. obviously. But um, that also the, the fact that you're probably wondering why would uh, – if a woman who's schizophrenic, why would she be diagnosed with depression? But we've only talked about the positive symptoms of schizophrenia mm-hmm. and positive as in there's the um, uh, presence of something abnormal. So like hallucinations and delusions, but negative symptoms, which are considered to be a lot more harmful are um, the absence of normal function. And that includes yeah. uh, a poverty of speech, uh, like apathy, withdrawn behavior, serious depression um it's uh these these symptoms are also present um in those with Mm -hmm. schizophrenia and they can be uh incredibly debilitating and it's one of the reasons why their life expectancy can be so reduced um is just it completely messes with their overall like functioning well yeah i think that's one of the hardest stigmas to get past with schizophrenia is that um, because of certain films and stuff, you see people with this disorder as dangerous, hostile, and threatening. They're crazy, and they, they don't know what they're doing, or, or they're evil. And, well, unfortunately, that's the case sometimes. Uh, for the most part, people with this disorder are bedridden, or they never leave the house, or they're deeply depressed, confused, anxious. Like, the the internal... Um, parts of schizophrenia that like I guess aren't as obvious to anyone are probably one of the one of those the more scarier parts of it I guess yeah well and it's it's you're totally right because people kind of forget that there is despite all the eccentricities that there you know there's a real human being that's suffering uh, despite this and if any of us were in their sort of phenomenological position like it would be um it would just be like incredibly distressing and, and sometimes it's, it's actually good to use sort of objective um, research methods to, to really illustrate this. Um, they use uh, antipsychotics um, regularly to at least block out the positive symptoms of schizophrenia. So the hallucinations, delusions, and specifically what these do is that they act on um, the on dopamine receptors and uh, I think it's like D2 receptors or something like that. And what like um, these PET scans show is that um, sure it works, you know, these antipsychotics remove the psychosis um, or at least alleviate it. But the patient who's suffering from schizophrenia experiences a lot of depression and distress that yeah. could be potentially associated with these antipsychotics. Um, yeah. Well... I know that, like, um, and this is kind of maybe a bit of a stretch, but for um, people that are doing, like, uh, psychedelics recreationally, I think, um, or in clinics, uh, it's like benzodiazepines are used as, like, uh, trip killers to, like, end it if it's going badly. But mainly what that does is it just kind of knocks the person out and... uh, I think you could compare that to a lot of the um, antipsychotic medication in the sense that, yes, it does take care of the hallucinations and the delusions, but that person is not going to be able to function either. Like, it totally wipes them out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it should be noted most treatments only work on the positive symptoms of schizophrenia. There's been very little uh, sort of interventions found that can uh, fix the sort of incredibly depressed, withdrawn behavior. Um, yeah, uh, I, I guess we could, we could talk a little bit about what, what are the potential causes of schizophrenia, which has been like a, an area of research for so long. Um, and it's kind of flip flopped and now, uh, at least from my understanding, the, the sort of research perspective is that it's called a diathesis, uh, stress model. And the diathesis is a predisposition. So say there's like, you know, oversimplifying, say there's like a gene um, that someone has that predisposes them to schizophrenia, which isn't the case because it's like an extremely complex genetic um, yeah. sort of uh, uh, system that 
is potentially involved in it. But just for the sake of explaining this, there's one gene um, and somebody is born, so they have a diathesis for it. They have that gene. Um, other people don't. But the gene alone does not um, cause or increase the chances someone has schizophrenia. It's only if the individual, uh, to oversimplify things again, is abused as a child. And that's the yeah. stress. So it's a diathesis stress model. So you have a predisposition and then you have uh, a stressor that sort of unlocks the condition. And this is uh, kind of an important concept to keep in mind because the nature-nurture argument is always uh, embedded in, in a lot of these causal arguments about uh, disorders. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, well, it just, just reminds me too, like I know... I know we want to talk about uh, schizophrenia specifically right now, but also that, um, like, it, it can be triggered, but I've also seen that people with, um, people without schizophrenia or, or any sort of, like, psychotic disorder who have went through, like, trauma or something can still suffer psychotic episodes, um, mm-hmm. which That's is, like, a, it's, a, yeah. it's a big part, like, uh, at least... I think this is like pretty well uh known but just that uh it it seems to cause a split from reality to protect the uh, individual to make them not see what is so harmful. That is actually it's something that is I believe covered in the DSM-5 it's acute psychotic episode and uh it's usually just lasts a few days. Um and then there there is also um I think el- alcohol withdrawal delirium is another one that oh, can last yeah. three to six days. And that you know, one's the crazy. Go insane. Yeah. You're just in like, you're pretty much in like a waking dream because alcohol blocks like the REM. So, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, wandering yeah. around. Uh, cocaine abuse has also, at least in neuroimaging, it appears very similar to people suffering from schizophrenia. Like psychotic episodes can be induced in many, many, uh, different ways, not just uh, because of this predisposition, but but like um, mm-hmm. the but there is like a, I think for all cases there's like a trigger though, like a a stressful situation or something that makes the brain go into that mode. Yes, that that is sort of the. I mean, I agree with that. That se- that seems to make sense. Um, I don't know of many cases where people just kind of. Uh, I don't know. There's cause, cause it's really hard to argue for the evidence of something that's absent. Um, yeah. so if people present themselves at a clinic with schizophrenia and like, there's no noticeable stressor, you can never really prove that they're not, there isn't a stressor because yeah. maybe it's something they're not entirely aware of. Um, mm-hmm. but, but going back to just sort of like the, the potential causal factors, some of like the, the genetic links, they do these uh, genome-wide association studies. And um, what they're looking for isn't like a specific gene, because that's a little bit, there's, they've kind of overall concluded, most research has concluded that there isn't like one gene that can cause it. But there's like, uh, you can look at certain patterns of genes, um, or certain areas of chromosomes or deletions of chromosomes that are associated with, um, I think what they found is certain alleles that also put people at risk for bipolar, or um, there's a certain uh, variation or a certain spot on, uh, I think, like chromosome 22 or something like that, that uh, it also is, uh, it's linked to schizophrenia um, and then immune functioning, which is important because um they also think one of the the prenatal uh causes of schizophrenia is uh mothers uh being like uh infected uh early on they did a study with like an influenza it was an influenza study in in like the second trimester um if the mothers were pregnant and during an influenza epidemic they would uh they were had an increased chance of of having kids that ended up uh having schizophrenia so like there's like a million different little causal factors, especially the biological. One of the one of the main ones, at least, on a neurochemical level, is it seems to be an increase of dopamine, at least in specific areas, um, which kind of makes sense. And they think it's because antipsychotics work against dopamine, 
and also uh, L-DOPA, which is used to treat Parkinson's patients, uh, increases uh, the the potential for psychotic symptoms. It's one of the side effects. So they're thinking there there might be some link between dopamine and psychosis, and then they also think it decreases uh, glutamate, and glutamate is kind of there for um, helping the central nervous system function and uh, uh, keep things in balance. Uh, and then they also think that there's like a lack of inhibitory interneurons, which are um, uh, they kind of reduce um, or they, they, they work on the excitability of things. And all of those together, just to say that um, they seem to be linked to increases in stress. People with schizophrenia appear to not do well when there are stressors in their environment. And I think one of the best sort of explanations for this is cortisol, which in, shows up when stress uh, activation occurs is linked to um, dopamine and glutamate. And I mean, so you're looking at like there's certain um, hormones that are affecting certain neurotransmitters um, that uh, are only affected when something in the environment happens. So at least those are the the kind of boring biological genetic things. I find them kind of interesting, but... um, Yeah, well, I mean, it kind of helps um, pinpoint a little bit further... Uh, what could be happening to cause the disorder. Um, like, uh, yeah, and just to add on top of that, like, and I don't mean this in a controversial way, but, um, like, science uh, describes reality. It isn't necessarily reality. It's a way of categorizing. So even if we do find every single chemical reaction that's involved with someone with schizophrenia, it's like it won't tell us why. It won't mm-hmm. necessarily bring us the philosophical explanation we, we typically need. Yeah. Well, and I, that's why I think it's important we also turn to, like, kind of the psychosocial causal factors. Um, and there's there's kind of some main ones. Um, I mean, there's the infection one. There, there's, like, the prenatal argument. So there's, like, infection uh, at the second trimester, like I mentioned. There's also malnutrition. So when the Nazis, they... Uh, kind of blockaded uh, the Netherlands at one point in World War II. It created a famine, and it increased the um, uh, birth rate of kids with schizophrenia. And so they think that there's some link between, like, malnutrition and um, schizophrenia, at least at, at the prenatal stage. Um, and then there's also, yeah, there's, like, a RH a, a abnormalities, brain abnormalities, stuff like that. But... Um, the more psychosocial things are interesting. Um, there's, uh, I think, one of the one of the prevalent examples is people that are like first generation or second generation immigrants are very likely to suffer from schizophrenia compared to the general population. And what do you, what do you think some of the potential reasons uh, for these immigrants to be more likely to be diagnosed with schizophrenia? What, why, why do you think that might be? Um, well, I mean, to like, just think about like malnourishment, for instance, for that situation to occur, I think you need to be in a pretty stressful or somewhat traumatizing situation where you can't access food, you don't, you know, if you can't access food, you're not sleeping well and all this stuff. And uh, I think it just goes back to that idea of it's this immense amount of stress and trauma that can't be dealt with by the individual so it's it's almost like an escape now the malnutrition it's not when the the child is born it's actually in prenatal stages so prenatal being when the baby has not been born yet but there's like a fetus so it's the mother being unable to but you're right i just mean in in some way i think that the baby feels the stress maybe (laughs) Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I don't know. maternal stress is also uh, related to increased chances of having schizophrenia. And obviously the baby, even if it like uh, wouldn't remember it necessarily, but um, it would be experiencing some levels of stress. Like there, there's nutritional deficiencies and stuff like that. Yeah. And um, there's the, uh, I always forget what it's called, but just um, uh, the, the, 
the more that like mortality or death is on the mind, you, you you're more uh, willing to like express your worldviews and stuff. And I think that um, with these uh, people that are going through such stressful things, if if they're constantly worrying about their family or death or stuff like that, you know, I imagine there's going to be a point where the brain gets weird. It's they can't deal with it anymore because if if your brain's like constantly preparing for it to not exist anymore, like that's got to be pretty weird. Well, well, I mean, for example, one of the potential explanations for why immigrants have a higher risk of having schizophrenia is that there seems to be a mediating factor with um, darker skin, like the darker skinned uh, immigrants, especially in, in, in more predominantly white countries seem to have very high rates of it and they think that it's potentially because of discrimination um which would make sense because discrimination would increase stress stress would increase cortisol and you know so that's uh you're you're totally right i think i think that that's the diathesis stress model seems to be more of a uh good explanation of uh, the potential causes of schizophrenia than other things. There is also one one interesting one. Um, those who are born to parents who work in the dry cleaning industry are more likely to have schizophrenia. Um, <laughs> and so they think it's because there's certain um, solvents used that sort of interact at like the prenatal and natal phase of oh, uh, that's weird. development that, that could increase the chances. So it's like there's all these like weird um, links that um could play a role uh there's uh um early brain damage stuff like that but it's uh and then uh, i think one thing we should discuss and maybe we can uh be you know talk about this after the ad break is uh rd lang and the whole idea of family um and dysfunctional families being a potential cause but um but first we'll do a uh uh, we'll we'll have a quick word from our sponsor. Support for the Sisyphus 55 podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code Sisyphus at manscaped.com. Not to give any of my listeners an image they'd rather not have, but one area I tend to neglect is keeping the boys trimmed. Thankfully, I'm one of the first people to try the new 4.0 lawnmower from Manscaped, and I'm blown away by the performance. The craftsmanship and details are next level. Manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and an incredibly comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. I now feel confident shaving my boys. This upgraded trimmer includes a multifunction on-off switch that can engage a travel lock. It also gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. The Lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to customize your trim through additional guard lengths with sizes 1 through 4. There's also wireless charging. It uses electromagnetic induction which helps the battery length last longer. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code Sisyphus at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use code Sisyphus. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Okay, so the um, this was like a very historically prominent uh, hypothesis of why people developed schizophrenia it was uh, i think it's called the schizophrenergic mother um which is a mother that is cold and aloof and was for much of history blamed for why people ended up developing schizophrenia and there's no evidence for this um and uh this was unfortunately uh you know i mean nowadays we talk about how 
over explaining things in terms of neurology and uh, genetics and stuff is, you know, not entirely honest about the reality of things. It kind of reduces things the same way this this sort of issue occurred, uh, but flipped regarding families and social effects. And there was an anti-psychiatry movement in the 70s uh, led by Artie Lang, um, who uh, he believed that um, a sane react that schizophrenia was a sane reaction to an insane world, and so he specifically was against the genetic, uh, genetic biological models um, about schizophrenia as being like inherited. Um, right. He argued they weren't accepted by uh, leading medical geneticists, um, and he argued that the person with schizophrenia was simply the scapegoat of a dysfunctional family and was paradoxically often the most sane person in the family group. Um, and here's That's a quote. Like with from Community. <laughs> yes. Um, he, he says, Without exception, the experience and behavior that gets labeled as schizophrenia is a special strategy that the patient invents in order to live with an unlivable situation. Um, and so... It's it's like a, if you know about the personal life of Artie Lang, he had a very dysfunctional upbringing and he also suffered from schizophrenia um, mm-hmm. or episodes of it uh, throughout his life. And uh, I was reading this off of like a website that uh, was written by somebody with schizophrenia and they, they said they don't agree with this um, because it really mm-hmm. paints a lot of the schizophrenic symptoms as almost positive. And he goes on to argue that uh, psychosis could be positive and life enhancing in some cases, which a lot of schizophrenic patients would say it's very troubling to deal with these, both the positive and negative symptoms. Um, Yeah. I, I see like a big kind of thing in the past uh, year or two, especially with the uh, kind of Renaissance of uh, psychedelic research is that, people kind of get the idea in their head that with like kind of pseudoscience or spirituality that um, schizophrenia or psychosis can be kind of magical. And I, I believe that to a certain extent, but I would never like want it or want it on other people um, because, you know, I, I have seen people write about it that have the disorder and it's, it's clear that it's not you know, there might be that one element where it's kind of cool, but it seems like it's mostly just hell. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think I think that Artie Lang, like, there was still use to his argument. Like, he was saying, like, we shouldn't be so reductive and yeah. um, we should be more open about at least, like, psychiatric diagnostics and stuff like that. But... This, I, I, I agree with you that there is kind of a, you know, going back to how it's depicted in media, we both kind of dehumanize schizo- like uh, those with schizophrenia and mm. also kind of um, find their, their psychosis as intriguing or eccentric mm. or interesting and not so much distressing and p- potentially maybe something that should be a target of empathy um, uh-huh. and, and compassion. Um, yeah, yeah like no. in, like in, uh, Man and His Symbols by Young, and, um, like there's a introductory book on Young where they go over a few of his, uh, analysis of patients, and, um, it's, you know, it's hard to see schizophrenia as this terrible thing when you have these examples of it, um, providing people with very, uh, like spiritual epiphanies or, or like these kind of self-realizations that that help them, but um, you know there there are so many examples of it though, just ruining people's lives and relationships, and so it's like just cu- curiosity is probably the best way to to go about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, one of the problems is is your cognitive capacities um, are insanely. Uh, in in absolute dysfunction uh if you have schizophrenia like uh you have a lot of issues with like working memory and you have a lot of um sensory gating issues with hearing a lot of eye tracking issues and just basic performance so in order to be curious you need to have some cognitive ability but if you're just getting all this random stimuli 
uh, oh, in, I, in terms I, of I hallucinations. Like, I meant like in terms of our reaction to to schizophrenia. Like, I think we should just keep like an open mind and stay curious. Uh, yeah, yeah. W- whatever, whatever helps them. I think they should do that. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. It, we'll talk about Jung in a moment, but just going back right. to to family as being a potential cause. So, despite the fact that the sort of Lang's family theory um, didn't really endure, um, there is definitely evidence going back to the diathesis stress model of uh, causality with schizophrenia that uh, family does play a role. Obviously, just broadly, if you have a stressful family uh, environment early on and you have some sort of biological or genetic predisposition, it's likelier that you'll end up with um, some schizophrenic disorder. Um, Mm -hmm. And specifically, one of the best examples of this isn't in the development of it, but in the relapse. So there isn't really any treatment that exists that can cure someone of schizophrenia, but there are various interventions that can be used to alleviate the symptoms, especially the positive ones. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I know I know one of the biggest ones is just recognizing the uh, trying to recognize what's actually real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good one. So, like, I think the whole thing with um, like again, I forget his first name, but from the movie A Beautiful Mind, uh, something Nash, um, the way he was able to uh, deal with it in his later life was after shock therapy and experiments with medication. It just became clear that he needed to just start being aware of what was real and what wasn't so he could kind of choose to ignore it. But I mean, for someone in that situation to actually get that much control over it is like astounding. Well, I just quickly on the the topic of, of treatments, one really interesting one is um, exercise. Exercise is, is uh, as we were talking about, the potential that inflammation and immune functioning is linked to schizophrenia. So exercise right. reduces inflammation, and it also reduces neurogenesis. And uh, schiz- those with schizophrenia, they have uh, enlarged ventricles, which means they have reduced uh, gray matter in their brain. And uh, right. this comes up even if you have two twins, two identical twins, and one of them has schizophrenia and one of them doesn't, um, that both of them will still have enlarged ventricles. So exercise, it uh, increases inflammation, and regarding uh, ventricles, it also increases neurogenesis and decreases cell death. So it'll reduce the, the sort of brain abnormalities in, in reduction of gray matter. Um, mm-hmm. so, and I mean, exercise is just generally good for, for most people and can help most disorders. Um, but going back to the, uh, the family thing is that they get treated and then they come back and there are very, uh, high rates of relapse in those who go back to family environments after they've been treated. Mm-hmm. So their symptoms, uh, reoccur and they were kind of figure trying to figure out why that is. And, um, what what they looked at was this one concept called um, emotional expression. And emotional expression is how family members talk about the patient or individual of interest to a clinician privately. And there's three sort of dimensions um, that they look at. It's do they talk about them critically? Do they talk about them with some hostility? And do they appear emotionally over-involved? And with criticism being like the most um, crucial, it looks like uh, families that are high in emotional expression, so high in criticism, emotional over-involvement, and um, hostility, those uh, those patients with schizophrenia also experience the highest rates of relapse. So it does appear that um, families that are dysfunctional, they have some sort of uh, communication deviance, they have this sort of uh, hostility and uh, criticism and how they interact with each other, it really increases the chances that uh, the outcomes won't be very good for the for the patient. And this goes back to stress. They show very poor um, resilience in the face of even moderate stressors. And you can imagine being surrounded by a family living there and they're constantly getting upset and uh, 
you know, like, I, I think it's, like, very obvious that this is something that would happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, just causing that split. Like, the brain just wants to flee. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing is, um, regarding cultural differences, this doesn't seem to be the case if you look at less industrialized countries. Um, more industrialized countries tend to have uh, high rates of emotional expression in families, and less industrialized countries tend to have um, better rates of remission, uh, better outcomes for uh, patients with schizophrenia, and they think it's largely linked to the fact that these families tend to interact in less hostile and critical ways. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you know, Artie Lang wasn't, you know, entirely wrong. Um, and his criticism of uh, the uh, way psychiatry was treating the illness at the time was, I think, valid because um, it was very reductive. Um, and uh, I think just regarding causality and schizophrenia, it is insanely complicated and there's like a million different factors. And I think it speaks to the fragility of our uh, consciousness and our minds mm -hmm. and just any one little thing can offset this incredibly uh, brilliant system and it could uh, end in like the an utter collapse in our ability to interact with reality. Mm -hmm. um, I was just going to ask a question about uh, something I've been thinking about um, revolving schizophrenia and psychosis um because i remember i did some research on i think it was meditation sleeping psychedelic use trances um and like kind of uh spiritual psychosis i guess and then schizophrenia and uh psychotic like disorders and what i found is that with sleeping right before you fall asleep and when you're dreaming the default mode network part of the brain is almost disabled in psychedelics which some people have said is like a psychotic like state um, the default mode network is also disabled same with meditation and deep like in deep meditation um, with psychosis and schizophrenia however the default mode network instead of being off is actually overactive um, so because there's such kind of similar states at least in my opinion all all of those examples. Why do you think that schizophrenia and psychosis specifically has such a different um, reaction in the brain? Um, I mean, regarding like the the anatomical reason why is that the uh, schizophrenic patients show a reduced white matter volume um, in their brain, and white matter is like you can think of it as like a, you know cables have like the I don't know, plastic or rubber around them that kind of insulates them. And it also makes them, uh, you know, move, the, move the electrical signal signals more quickly, um, in the same way. Yeah. Sort of like, uh, the myelin sheath that goes around our neurons, it like insulates them and it like helps the, uh, signals go faster. Um, and it kind of nourishes them and everything. So to have reduced white matter is bad because that means you're going to have problems with uh, connectivity. And um, mm -hmm. this is, uh, you know, we're, we're going to see specifically with the default mode network, the disassociation pattern of functional connectivity of uh, the subsystems in the default mode network. Um, and that's the kind of anatomical reason. So, I mean, broadly... People that are doing psychotic drug or uh, doing hallucinogenic drugs and stuff like that, uh, they're probably not going to um, experience that. Um, but there does seem to be like like anatomical connectivity issues with the default mode network, and um, I mean the fact that it's altered is I think this is like a fairly new area of research, um, mm -hmm. but. I think one of, you know, we can think of it in terms of like uh, hallucinogenics, uh, you're going to see like uh, increased curiosity, probably you're going to be like kind of excited. You don't really consider unless someone's having a really bad trip, usually you're going to be like uh, pretty interested. You're going to be 
thinking a lot. It would be, you know, higher energy levels. Um, but with schizophrenia, one of like the, because there's the negative uh, symptoms is that you see withdrawn behavior or kind of a, usually they're withdrawn from reality. They're, they usually mm -hmm. disassociate from other people. So I think it yeah. kind of makes sense. It, it's like characterized with the, the condition. Um, but yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know if that helps. Yeah, like, um, cause, cause I remember it kind of threw me off cause I, I originally thought that I was kind of onto something like they were all kind of leading to the same state. Um, but I found out that the default mode network in people that, um, let's say are working like really mundane jobs and they're constantly that inner monologue is just super loud like they're not actually focused on what they're doing or people that are really stressed anxious or depressed their default mode network activity is also up so i think it just goes back to like the the stress thing but i just found it weird that that part of the brain that seems to be associated with the kind of strange connections and weird perceptions and stuff is uh is overactive in schizophrenia. Mm hmm Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I think I misspoke. It, it's it's an overactivity of, of the default mode network that, that could still be explained by just kind of the disconnectivity they have in general brain regions. Um, right. But, yeah, I mean, this is like a, a fairly new area of research. Um, yeah. I think that uh, you brought up dreams. It's kind of an interesting thing to or interesting individual to discuss that you also brought up before is Carl Jung and uh, his conception of psychosis and dreams in that uh, schizophrenia is a type of waking dream um, mm -hmm. that, you know, they tend to see somewhat familiar faces. They tend to have kind of random sequences of hallucinations and thought patterns and, uh, but the only difference is that they're awake, they're in the world, and they're, I mean, there's obviously going to be impaired functioning. And uh, the fact that uh, um, Jung also differentiated neuroses from schizophrenia, in that neuroses, that big. <laughs> yeah, he he typically uh, typically in neuroses, it's like very familiar faces, it's people you know, but with schizophrenia, he at least in when he was discussing with his patients, he he discovered that a lot of them were hallucinating um, voices and sometimes images of mythological figures or religious figures. Mm. Sometimes these patients had no specific link to the religious figures or mythological figures that were being addressed. From this, he came up with his theory of the collective unconscious, which I'm sure most people know about now. Um, yeah, yeah I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Um, I mean, yeah, he kind of characterized it by a, a split in the self um and that it i can't remember the exact description i just remember that he he referred to it as like a split um but yeah reading man and his symbols it's amazing the amount of dreams that uh that they analyze in the sense that all these all these things that they've never seen before in the dream after analysis uh, actually refer to something that is known and it's a uh, it's kind of what I was trying to get to in my research um, was that like in these kind of free fragile states of the mind when you're dreaming or or hallucinating that uh, your brain won't find the exact I guess um, depiction of what it wants to tell you but it'll find several symbols as he called them to kind of create that message and it's up to you to um analyze it and figure out what it's trying to say mm -hmm. yeah I, I actually think in a way Jung's idea of schizophrenia was a little bit more nuanced than Lang's even though he came a little bit before him um yeah you know he still kind of believes that these people are suffering a great deal and he thinks that you can definitely develop some sort of information about the the uh, hallucinations and delusions um but i think that he was you know he actually uh, in comparison to a lot of 
the ways that psychiatrists historically treated schizophrenic patients. He gave them a lot more empathy and tried to see them as people experiencing a great deal of distress um, mm -hmm. with some very novel and eccentric symptoms rather than these crazy maniacs that, uh, you know, are, are completely gone and, uh, you know, we should just like lock them up in, in a ward. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, well, essentially like anyone that is split off from the shared reality is going to feel quite alienated. And if people in that environment also reflect that, like they also stop talking to this person, like you said, they want to like lock them up or something. Um, Young really helped because he, he once again showed that like, no, there's someone under all of this going through all of this. This isn't like the person. Um, so yeah, it was really good to see that, that someone, uh, was a little more willing to, to help these people. Yeah. I think that's a good way to kind of, uh, summarize this discussion. Um, I, I do think just before we end this, maybe just for the sake of clearing some things up, uh, because there's a lot of different sort of schizotypal disorders is maybe just run through them really quickly. Um, cause we've spent this whole episode talking about schizophrenia, but there are other, uh, disorders. There's, um, schizoaffective disorder, which is extremely crippling, but also the reliability of this actually existing isn't great because there's not a lot of measures to look at it. But schizoaffective disorder is basically the presentation think, of schizophrenia with... Um, I think that's the one that Brian Wilson had. I was getting it confused with schizotypal. Okay, because uh, schizoaffective disorder is the... Um, it's the presence of schizophrenia with mood disorders. So it's either like manic states or depressive states or both um yeah that's that's what i was saying. that's mm -hmm. more brian wilson okay yeah because that can be extremely debilitating um yeah i mean he was in bed for three years so <laughs> there's yeah. the evidence there's a schizophreniform disorder so it happens it's basically schizophrenia but it's just um it occurs it occurs with uh within six months and doesn't extend beyond that um so sometimes people can have it for a short duration of time, usually due to stress and some genetic predisposition. Um, there's delusion, delusional disorder. And uh, so that's uh, people have these delusions that last for at least one month, according to the DSM criteria. And um, they are, aside from the delusions, they are completely fine with functioning. They're you know, they have no impaired cognitions or anything like that, but they like have insane delusions. And I mean, I'm thinking not to really bring this up a lot, but I think in the current like political climate, because the whole idea of misinformation and what is true and what is not um, is becoming an increasing issue. I wonder how much right. this disorder is going to still maintain some sort of uh validity because you know you, you can't really draw political lines when doing diagnostics and if certain people are saying one thing is one way and certain people are saying one thing's the other way and it's so deeply divided when is it a delusion a delusion is when well, like a general amount of people agree that something isn't what it is yeah like i mean this might be a bit different but it just made me think um what's the difference between a um, like, I know there's a difference, but specifically, uh, what is it, what's the difference between um, a cognitive distortion versus a delusion? Well, I, th I think that it would be more useful to compare a cognitive distortion to a hallucination. Because, okay. uh, um, I mean, I guess, I guess cognition, because that is, no, no, you're right, because cognition is more to do with, like, uh, thinking patterns. Uh, cognitive yeah. distortion, I mean, you could argue that a delusion is a cognitive distortion, but a delusion is, like, long-lasting. It'll last for, like, yeah. a month or, like, longer. Um, but but there there is yeah. actually one specific one uh, in delusional disorder, one subtype that's interesting, called erotomania. Um, and Sounds that's sick. A, yeah, it's, a, it's when people have, like, an unhealthy level of attachment to a figure of higher status who doesn't know that they exist. Um, oh. So, 
like uh, I think a good thing to imagine is like a teen girl. We've all been there. Yeah, we've all you know everyone's had that. Like at least uh, when they're kids, they get become obsessed with like a celebrity. This is like where it becomes it becomes an issue is when it like impairs their functioning and leads to some distress. Um, oh, is this and, like the uh, people that say like like we're in, like we're gonna get married as soon as he sees me or like. <laughs> exactly. He no, that's me, exactly. Doesn't it. know it yet. Oh, that's that's weird. exactly it. They usually believe that they are like the one for um, whoever they're obsessed with, and uh, yeah, I just I don't know. I thought that was uh, interesting. But those are those are the uh, the psychotic disorders, and then there's personality disorders, which um, I don't know. We don't have to go into wild. You know, the DSM is like made usually for insurance purposes, so explaining all the different categorizations isn't like a huge issue here. But uh, the two main ones that uh, kind of concern schizophrenia is schizotypal and schizoid. Schizotypal is uh, basically a less severe form of schizophrenia. It's it's. Uh, usually some sort of high levels of introversion you have eccentric strange behaviors and it's like uh, magical thinking right you you generally yeah people generally believe that they have superpowers or or have some ability to do magic um Uh which is yeah uh it's uh like they have a stronger connection to the laws of the universe than anybody else, essentially. Yes, but they they share a lot of like the hallucinations and delusions of uh, schizophrenia, and they also share a lot of the cognitive issues. Um, so the difficulties in like eye tracking, difficulties in uh, response time, and stuff like that. So so there is there does seem to be some sort of maybe genetic component or brain abnormality that link the two. Mm-hmm. Um, and then schizoid is uh, not necessarily as related to schizophrenia, at least from my knowledge, but because of its like similar name, um, I think it's important to bring up. It actually means somebody that does not want to have any sort of uh, social relationships. They are very, very like uh, isolated and just do not like the presence of other people. Um, so imagine like the absolute highest level of introversion and, uh, not to be confused with there's avoidant disorder, which is mm-hmm. you do actively want social relationships, but you are absolutely afraid of, uh, criticism. So you, you have this awful feeling of constant loneliness because you can't really approach anybody, even though you really want mm-hmm. to, but schizoid, they, yeah. they, I mean, you can imagine, I guess like the Unabomber would be a good example. He at no point in his life appeared to show any sort of, uh, um, inclination to get in any sort of relationship. Um, well, it's and, kind uh, of yeah. It's it's like paired alongside like an absolute infatuation and obsession with like your own internal ideas or world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there usually is some component to to fantasy thinking. Maybe not to the yeah. same degree as schizotypal, but uh, there yeah, is just yeah. like you you like how you see and feel everything compared to how might be different mm-hmm. well i th- i think there's a you know like uh power by kanye like that song yeah. and there's like the 21st century schizoid man that's uh that's probably one of the most popular ways it's like brought up is like uh you uh they're called like king crimson they were this like pr- progressive rock band it's from where the sample came from and yeah. uh yeah and and they're they're discussing specifically the uh issues the consequences of the vietnam war on americans and when they're saying 21st century schizoid man they're talking about somebody who's apathetic emotionally cold and they tend to live in a fantasy world um and it could be caused by unloving neglectful parenting and uh instead they're kind of saying that it's it's caused by the 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 damages of the horrible war in vietnam especially on like uh, soldiers and like their kids and right. uh how people are just going to turn progressively inward due to the the heredity of it all um just as a as a little side note but it's a good song um is there uh <laughs> is there anything else you'd like to add um no i think i think we covered it about all i feel like the personality disorders gotta be it's whole other thing oh yeah well i mean like even even alone there's the issue of evil and psychopathy and, and antisocial disorder right. and 
Um, I think that could be its own thing. Narcissism. I mean, like the personality disorders, whether you find like the classifications useful or not, it is interesting that there are um, certain patterns of behavior and thought and personality that maybe we all somewhat relate to, but um, these are like extreme versions of it. And you can kind of see what could cause that. Um, what sort of thinking behavior do they have? Can it be treated? Um, and then also at the end of the day, remembering that whether how uh, interesting we find these disorders, these are real people dealing with mm -hmm. uh, legitimate distress and issues. But I mean, yeah, that's, uh, I was just going to say, I think the majority of people have seen like all of the uh, true crime documentaries on Netflix about like the Night Stalker or all these serial killers and yeah definitely they become kind of uh i don't know larger than life figures so it's it's kind of hard to remember that there is just normal people going through these same symptoms that it's just yeah. terrible yeah no i mean let us know if you if you want us to discuss more of these disorders um or just psychology in general but uh i think that pretty much does it for this episode yes sir all right peace